0: Well good morning church. Good morning. Come on good morning church. I'm glad you are here this morning. I tell you one thing I enjoy doing is I enjoy watching movies. Anybody like to watch movies? Okay there's a few of us in the room. I like to watch movies and and the kind of movies that I guess I kind of enjoy watching the most is, I like those movies where there's like a trilogy attached to it, right? Like, you, it's not just like one standalone where there's like, you know, sequels that follow it. Like, for example, like Star Wars or X-Men or Marvel, all that kind of stuff. But what you probably notice, if you like those kind of movies, is you've probably noticed over the last decade or so that there's a real fascination with Hollywood to, after they produce these series of movies, like a trilogy or something, and now they're done with it, they like to go go back to the beginning, right? They, They have these movies, and then they're like, okay, we're not satisfied with that, so let's go back to the very beginning. Let's go back to the origin of how this thing started, and by going back, we can tell the story. Now, the reason I think they do that is because I feel like if they think if they can go back to the beginning, that somehow it'll bring a greater deal of clarity... To what we've already seen. For example, Star Wars, 1977, the first movie I ever saw. I went to see the, the last, is it The Last Hope? The Last Hope or The New Hope. Sorry, The New Hope. the Last, The New, same thing. Anyway, The New Hope at a drive-in movie theater. How many you been to a drive-in movie theater? Okay, we just dated ourselves, by the way. Okay, so I remember watching that, and then they had, after that was The Empire Strikes Back, and then there was The Return of the Jedi, and that was good for like two decades. And then he decided, hey, you need to be able to sympathize with who Darth Vader is. You need to know his story because it ends with the return of the Jedi with like his, his kind of begins a change of heart. So we got to go back to the beginning. So then they came out with the Phantom Menace, right? So you can see little Anakin Skywalker and you can see the journey that he goes on. So somehow by going back to the origin of that movie, the very beginning place, you can somehow identify and understand and maybe even more relate to the person of Darth Vader. You see that also true in all the Marvel movies, right? They have like this whole massive Avengers thing, and now they're going back to each individual Avenger, and they're showing exactly how they began and all that. Now why are they doing that? Because when you go back, you're able to discover some foundational truths that help you better understand and identify the character you've watched for so many years. Now why am I saying that? Because I think in our faith, the same thing can be true for us. I think it's important for us to find some moments in our life where we go back to our origin, that we go back to the beginning and we find some foundational truths that maybe we've forgotten. For example, we all know that we live in a world where we are bombarded by a lot of different things, aren't we? We live in a world where things seem to blow up. We live in a world where we're pulled from one place to the next. And we live in a world where we've got to make decisions, and you've got to make them right now. And you've got to do different things. You've got to figure out your situations. You've got to figure out, you know, you're going to take the job, not take the job. And we get all this stuff going. And listen, it never goes at a slow speed that we can just kind of follow it. It's always happening at lightning speed, isn't it? And in those moments, I think sometimes we forget some of the most foundational truths of who God is, how God loves us, our own condition, and then ultimately the God's plan of redemption. So over the next 10 weeks, we're gonna go back to the origin. We're gonna go back to the beginning. We're gonna spend the next 10 weeks as we lead up to Easter, and we're gonna talk about the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And why are we doing it? Because I think there's some foundational truths that maybe the craziness of life has caused us to forget. And I want us to pause for the next 10 weeks and to look at these truths, celebrate these truths, embrace these truths so they might not only shape our faith, but shape how we live our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis. It is the first book of the Bible. Don't stand just yet. And as you're turning there, I want to say some kind of introductory things about Genesis, some things that I'm probably not going to say as we get deep into it. But I know when you talk about Genesis, immediately there are people that have got questions. For example, do you believe, Doug, that Genesis is literal or is a myth? I believe 100% from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head that it is literally what happened. I believe in a little Adam, a literal Eve, I believe the whole thing. As I told the Discover Cross Life group from a while ago, I believe it from the index to the maps. I believe everything about it. I don't believe it was a myth, allegory, or metaphor. I believe in the creation story, and I hope you do too. Now, also, when you look at the creation, people want to know this. Well, do you believe, what about the age of the earth, Doug? Let's talk about that, the age of the earth. What do you think about that? Well, there's a lot of different theories out there. There's some that believe in a young earth, and there's some that believe in an old earth. And there's some that are conservative Christians that believe in an old earth. They believe between verse 1 and verse 2, there's a gap. Therefore, it was called the gap theory. And they believe there's this gap that could be billions of years old. I don't believe that. I believe in a young earth. I believe that verse 1 depends on verse 2 and vice versa. And so verse 1 feeds right into verse 2. I do not believe in an old earth. I believe in a young earth. I don't believe we're millions of years old. I believe we're thousands of years old. And you'll know more why as we go through the book of Genesis. Then some people wonder, okay, well, what about, you know, if you didn't believe in a young earth, what about the days of creation? Some people believe that the world is millions of years old and they don't believe in the gap theory, so they believe that each day wasn't a literal 24-hour period day, and so that must be where we have the millions of years come in. Well, if you study the Hebrew, the word for day is the word yom, and it literally means a 24-hour period day. In fact, if you look at every day of creation, it ends with this. There was morning and what? And then there was evening. So I believe that creation was a 24-hour period day. Now, here's why I am vehemently uh, believe that with everything in me. Think about what happens in the days of creation. We'll get to it next week. But only a truly sovereign God could do what we experience in Genesis chapter 1. And the more I read Genesis 1, and the more I realize I believe it happened in six literal days, and then he rested on the seventh, it just points me to the sovereignty of my God, that he's bigger than I am, that his ways are not my ways, and that he's on his throne, and that he's in control. And so if you're ever wrestling with those issues, always lean to sovereignty. Always lean to how big God really is. Now, I do believe this. I do believe that God created a mature earth. Obviously, Adam and Eve were not infants when they were created. They were obviously old enough to at least be married and to begin to procreate. We don't know exactly how they are, but I believe that God created a mature earth. And then this, many people want to know, what about authorship? Well, the book of Genesis doesn't use anybody. Nobody like said, you know, I, Jeremiah, write this. I mean, there's nothing like that, but there are plenty of Old Testament passages and New Testament that point to Moses as the author of the Pentateuch, the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So I believe Moses wrote those things. And here's the last thing about introduction statements about Genesis. More important than all of that is the truths that we're going to look at over the next 10 weeks. As we go through the book of Genesis, what we're going to discover is, once again, who God is. We're going to discover, once again, how much God loves us. We're going to discover our own condition as humanity. But most importantly, as Kent mentioned a while ago, we're going to discover God's plan for redemption. And as you go through the Old Testament, listen to me. Many of you love the New Testament, and I do too. But I have an infatuation with the Old Testament. Here's why. Because all the way from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which we'll get to in about three weeks, there's a thread of redemption that goes all the way through the Bible. There is one thing from Genesis to the end, and it's that Jesus saves. Amen? Do you believe that, church? And so that's one of the truths we're going to come to. So if you have your Bibles, now we're going to jump into the text. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? And it says this. You know it. You can quote it. First two verses. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And Lord, today I pray with everything in me that we would be, for some of us, we would be reminded of these powerful truths about you. And maybe for others of us, we might come face to face for the first time with these truths that should not only impact my life, but should shape how I live my life, Lord, that they would impact my faith and and draw me in closer to you. So God, be with us. May we see, may you reveal things to us today that we've never seen before, and it's in your powerful son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage of scripture, there are three things I think we learn about God in this passage. The first one is this, is that God is eternal, that God is eternal. Okay, I think we're going to put it on the screen. God, God is eternal. Now, if you go back, let's go back to the verse. Let's look at the, very, the, the verse one says this. In the beginning. Now, this phrase is pregnant with meaning. I mean, it, it, it has a lot of meaning behind it. We're going to cover a little bit of it. But he says, in the beginning. Moses writes, in the beginning. Now, when he says, in the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning of the creator. He's talking about the beginning of creation. Are you with me on that? Because God is eternal. Now, if you think about this, Moses was man just like we are. We're finite beings. I mean, so the only way that Moses understood how to go back, I mean, think about it. Moses came hundreds of years later. I mean, Moses was hundreds of years later, and he's writing this down. And so the only way Moses could take us back to the origin was by making the statement, let's put it back up there, in the beginning. But he's not talking about the beginning of a creator. He's talking about the beginning of a creation. And listen to me on that. Because that's what he's talking about, that reminds us that God is separate from his creation because God has never been created. He is the creator. Now, I know some of you have to think about that for a little bit. Some of you have to ponder that for a little bit. Maybe you've known that intuitively, maybe you were taught that as a kid, but there's something about realizing that God is eternal that is a little bit mind-blowing a little bit, that, that God has always been and always will be. There's never been a beginning of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there never will be an ending of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's only a beginning and an ending to creation, but not the creator, which means that he is separate from his creation, because he's never been created. It also means this. It means that he is greater than his creation. Let's look at Isaiah 40, what it says. Isaiah 40 says this, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think about that. The magnitude and the measure of all the waters of the earth measured in the hollow of his hand. And marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains and scales and the hills and bounds. What is Isaiah getting at? Isaiah is pointing this out, that the God that we worship, this eternal God, he's larger than his creation. He is greater than his creation. So when we come to this first phrase in Genesis 1, it needs to remind us that God is eternal. That in the beginning, he's talking about creation, not the creator. The creator is eternal. In fact, if you think about it, that's exactly how God described himself to Moses, wasn't it? In Exodus chapter 3, what name did God give Moses? When he says, who shall I tell him, sent me? Here's what God says. I am who I am. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little bit of a bizarre name, isn't it? I'm thinking like Fred would work perfectly well, right? But he didn't use that. He didn't use a single, like, I'm just Jehovah, I'm Yahweh. He says, my name is I am who I am, which the name I am even speaks to the eternality of God. It means I've always been, I am, and I always will be. There's been no beginning for me. There is no ending. So the only way you can all encompass who I am, my character and my nature is with this name, I am. Always been, I am, and I always will be. And I just want us to know this because when we get to the end of the message today, there's something about the eternality of God that should impact your and I's life. It's not just about having knowledge that God is eternal. It's about what does that mean for me? What does it mean as a follower of Jesus Christ to go that my God, my Savior is eternal? How should it impact my life? But Genesis 1, in the beginning, points us to the fact that God is eternal. Also, when it says in the beginning, if there's a beginning, what also is implied? there's going to be an end, right? While we're excited about the start of something, we also have to have an anticipation that there's an end, right? Like when, when, when Jesus came to this world, when he came as a baby born in a manger, the Messiah had come, the first advent, the first coming of Christ. But we know that he's coming again, don't we? We know He's coming again, and one day He will come again, and eventually there will be an end to this creation. Eventually there will be a judgment that those who don't know Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire, and those who do know Him will spend eternity with Him and the new heaven and the new earth, that there will be a new Jerusalem, that we will be forever with Him. There's going to be an end, and as believers living today, we should live in anticipation that there's an end that's coming, which should make us more urgent in sharing our faith, right? Now, If you didn't say right, it's because you're not very urgent. I mean, listen, when you walk out those doors and you get in your car and you go to lunch this afternoon, there are people that are lost and are going to split hell wide open. And we need to be the people that share the good news of Jesus with them. Why? Because there is an end that is coming. And we don't know when it is. And so there's a beginning and there's an end. But the beginning and end is the beginning and end of creation, not of who? The creator. So when we see this phrase, in the beginning, it should remind us that God is eternal. If you believe that this morning, say amen. The second thing I want you to notice, which I love, is that God creates. Look at me in verse 1 again. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now just leave that up there if you would for a moment. God created the heavens and the earth. The word God here, Moses is very careful about the word he uses here. The word God in the Hebrew is the word Elohim here. And the word Elohim is plural, not singular. Now, what do you think Moses is getting at there? He's getting at that we have a triune God, that we have father, son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, and Yahweh created or Jehovah. He says, Elohim. Elohim is a name that reflects the totality of the Trinity, the three persons, yet one. And so he says, God created. The Elohim, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all equally involved in the creation process. And then he says, God created. If you have your Bible open, I want you to underline that word created. It's a fascinating Hebrew word. It's the word bara, B-A-R-A, bara, And it's only used in Scripture as it relates to divine activity. Only time in Scripture. Only time in Scripture this word created, this word bara is used when it relates to supernatural, to divine activity. Here's what it means. Only God creates. Now follow with me on this, church. Only God creates, only God can bara. only God can create. Here's what I mean, that you and I as humanity, we can form things, but we create nothing. Now, I know some of you wanna push back, go, well, Doug, I've created some stuff, I've created maybe some software, I've created maybe something in my house. You didn't create anything. You formed it, you fashioned it, you shaped it, but you didn't create anything. Only God can bara. only God can. Can create. And because God can create, that reminds us that he is all-sovereign, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and that he's the only one that can sustain all things. Only God creates. In fact, theologians will use this phrase, he only is the one who can ex nihilo, which means he created something out of nothing. Now, I know that's, I mean, listen, I've been thinking about this for weeks, and I know some of you are going to have to go home and chew on it, but the fact that God created something out of nothing, Is mind-blowing. You know, if I ask, you know, if I asked Tom, hey man, would you create for me something, and I threw him a can of Play-Doh, he could not, he wouldn't create anything. He would be shaping, fashioning, and forming it. That's not what God did with creation. He spoke it into existence. Now hear me on this church. We'll get to it next week. He spoke it into existence. There was nothing there. God of eternity past at a moment in, on a timeline in eternity that we have no idea when it was, God spoke creation into existence. He barod. He created something out of nothing. Only God can create, not you and I. We can form, we can fashion, we can shape, we can fill something up, but you and I do not have the ability to create. Only God can create. In fact, he says he created something out of nothing. Here's the point, is that matter was not eternal. Only God is eternal. God created it. Now, I know we would like to think that, you know, with heavens and earth, it was just this blob up there, and God goes, oh, I'll do something with it. No, no, he created it. God created, he said, the heavens and what? The earth. This phrase, heavens and earth, just is a picture of the totality of God's creation. The heavens refer to the universe, the galaxies, what we would call space. That's what it refers to. And so God created all these things. He created everything beyond this world. He created the universe, the stars, and the galaxy. In fact, one of my favorite commentators I like to read, David Guzik, says this, that in our galaxy alone, there are 200 billion stars in our galaxy, Our galaxy is shaped like a spiral with pinwheel arms that go out. For our galaxy to make one rotation, complete rotation, could be estimated to take 250 million years to do that. And that is our galaxy alone. And we know that there are many, 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 many more galaxies. And yet God created them all. Even the Hubble telescope, as far as it can reach out there, cannot reach the expanse of what God has created. He's created the heavens, and it says, and he's created what? Earth. The earth. What's he referring to there? Earth is referring to matter, referring to what we inhabit, where we inhabit, this place that we live on. God created that. And you know, and I could spend a lot of time talking about this, but let's just be honest. Isn't it amazing how and where God created earth? We are exactly the right, perfect amount of distance from the sun. So if we were a little bit closer, we would burn up. If we were a little bit further away, we would all freeze to death and life couldn't be sustained. Earth is on the exact perfect axis that life can be sustained here. I mean, when God created, God created perfectly. Now, why am I laboring this? Because I want you to know that our God creates that our God spoke the world into existence. This eternal God that we worship is the God who made something out of nothing. He created the heavens and the earth. Our God is the only one that creates. Listen to this. He's not the only one that creates, and he's made something from nothing, which means this, that creation, listen, creation is intentional. We are not here by chance. I was doing some reading this last week. And I was reading about how many people who claim to be followers of Christ have begun to navigate to the Big Bang Theory. Now, I don't know a lot about the Big Bang Theory, except this. The Big Bang Theory at its its very core believes that there was this small bob of energy that existed in space, and it got so filled up that it exploded, therefore the Big Bang, right? And exploded, and it created the heavens, and the earth was a result of that. So we are here by chance, is what they would say. I'm just going to tell you, when I read this book, I learn we are not here by chance. That God's creation is intentional exactly the way that he wanted it. God created the heavens and the earth. So secondly, God creates. And the last thing I want you to notice with me this morning is found in verse two. It says this. It says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here's the third thing I want us to know, that God is involved in his creation. God is eternal. God creates. But listen, God is involved in his creation. Did you pick up on, the, let's go back to the verse if we could. Did you pick up on what it says about the earth? The earth was without form and void. So when God first speaks and creates, when God creates the earth, the earth is without form initially, and it's without being filled. That word form is the Hebrew word tohu, and it means it had no shape. And then without fill is the phrase bohu. That's, that, you should go to lunch and talk about tohu wa bohu. And really, what it means is formlessness and void. Just tell that to your waiters. Like, hey, you feeling kind of tahu uh, wa bohu today? And just see what they say to you, right? It just means without form, without shape, and without filling. So, this earth that God has created initially had no shape and had no fill, nothing in it. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how God formed it and how God filled it. But right now, it has none of that. And it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, darkness here is a reference to the absence of light. Then original formation, as God created, there was no light on this earth. Oftentimes, darkness and waters, as we see at the end of the verse, referred to chaos. So this creation yet is not taken shape. But I want you to notice something that's powerful. And it's this, it's the last phrase. And in the midst of this formlessness, in the midst of this void, you notice know what it says? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, who's the Spirit of God referring to? The Holy Spirit. And it's the word says it's hovering. The better translation would be brooding. I know that's a thing we don't use talk about much, but it's the idea of brooding. Now, what broods? A mother bird broods over her baby birds. A mother eagle broods over her little eagles. They hover over. Why are they hovering over? Because they want them to know that we are present, we are active, and we're watching out for you. I I remember when I was a kid, um, I was always in charge of mowing the yard. We had about four acres to mow. It was terrible. My brother was allergic to 77 kinds of grass. I think he was a liar, but he was allergic to kinds of grass. He couldn't mow. And then I had a sister. She shouldn't be outside mowing, according to my dad. So guess who got to mow? Weed eating all that. I did that. And we had this tree in the front yard yard and this tree was like, it was a pretty tree, but I'd have to push mow around this because I couldn't get the riding mow there. And the thing about this tree was it always had a bird's nest in it. And I'd be dadgum if that bird's nest didn't always have baby birds in it. So I'd be mowing and this mother bird would come and he would like shoot right for my head. They were trying to, that mother bird was trying to do all it could to get me away from the nest as if I was going to do something. I'm just mowing the dadgum yard. I'm not trying to take a bird's nest down. I'm not trying to kill any birds. But this mother bird, because it was hovering, was coming and would attack me because thought I was going to mess with his babies. What a beautiful picture of the Spirit of God over creation. He was hovering. He was brooding over creation. Why? To let us know that he's present, that he's active, and he's watching out for us. Now, why is that important for you and I? Because if you read any other belief system in the world, every other creation story is about a God who basically wound up creation, threw it into existence, and goes, I hope that works out for everybody. And what is, shall be. But not our God. Our God creates, and he hovers. Now what does that mean for us? That means this, that our God loves, cares for, and is intricately involved with his creation. And I want you to know that this morning. We serve a God who is eternal. We serve a God who is directly involved with his creation, and we serve a God who creates. Now, as we close this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. What lessons can I learn from this? And I want you to write some of this down, because this is something many of us need to hear this morning. What can we learn from this? Well, first of all, because we serve a God that is eternal, here's what that means. It means that God sees the whole story, Do you remember last week when we read from Jeremiah and God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. In other words, before I even began to fashion you in the womb, uh, Jeremiah, I knew who you were. Listen, the idea, because God is eternal, God sees the whole story. God exists beyond time and space and God sees the whole picture. That's why he's able to tell Jeremiah in 31, he said, listen, I know the plans I have for you. Why? Because I see the whole story. That's why Romans eight twenty eight says, for God will work all things together for the good. Why? Because God knows the whole story and he knows how to take your situation, your circumstance and your event and how he's gonna work it out for the good. You may not see it in your lifetime, but he's gonna do it. See, God sees everything. See, when you and I live this life, all we see is right in front of us right now, don't we? We see this situation, we see this moment, we see this event, we see this tragedy, we see this opportunity, but listen, God sees everything. He sees it all. And the fact that God is eternal should remind us that God sees everything. And because he's the grand orchestrator, that means he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Which means this, he's worthy to be trusted. Are you with me on that, church? If God can see everything, isn't he worthy to be trusted? How many of your parents in the room? Come on. How many of you are parents that have teenagers that have grown up and gone on from your household? There's a few saved of us in the room that are, you know, happy. You know, we're excited, right? So they've grown up, they've gone on. Have you ever, you remember that moment as a parent when um, you saw your kids doing something as a teenager you knew they shouldn't have done? And you tried to tell them that what they were doing was going to lead them down the wrong path. And inevitably, what did your teenager do? They listened to you. They said, Lord, I thank you for my parents. They're the smartest people in the world. Thank you for blessing me with them. Is that what happened? No, no. Now, why were you able to give that wisdom to them? Because you've lived some life, right? You've seen people go down the wrong journey. Maybe you went down the wrong path. And you're like, well, wait a minute. If you go down this path, I know where this leads for you. Trust me. You don't want to go there. Hey, listen, God knows way more than you and I know. God sees all things all the time, outside of a a space and time, God sees it all. And if God sees it all, isn't he worthy for you and I to trust him? If God knows the whole big plan, if God knows the whole big picture and he's nudging you to do something or he's leading you to do something, isn't he worthy to go, God, because you know all things, I know that I can just simply trust you. How about you? But if we were honest this morning, most of us struggle with trusting the Lord. We may feel him nudging us, we may feel him leading us, but at the end of the day, we're just like, I'm just not sure. And we hold back and we, we kind of we freeze up. And because God is eternal and God sees all things and God knows the whole story, he is worthy of your trust and my trust. This last week, I had this incredible conversation with somebody that was sharing the pain of something that happened in their life something that is a very tragic thing maybe many of you have gone through but a very tragic thing in their life and I was waiting for them to tell the rest of the story how they were still struggling with God and how they they kind of blamed God and they were upset with God with what happened but this person didn't say that this person said you know what? I never blame God I knew that in the end that God had a plan and a purpose even though this was painful for me I knew that God was going to take it and use it for good and I've even began to see some of that in my life you know what they were saying because my God is eternal I can trust him. And see, there's some of you trusting your own abilities, your own opinions, your own way of doing it, and you need to drop that this morning and say, Lord God, because you are eternal, because you are greater than your creation, because you're separate than your creation, I know that you know the whole story, and I can trust you. Guess what? He knows the hairs on your head. He knows before you were born, and he knows long after you're gonna live this world. He knows everything about you, and why wouldn't we trust him? Why wouldn't we? I can tell you why. Pride. Stubbornness. Anybody stubborn in the room? And here's the thing. We want our way, not his way. I'm just going to say this out loud. If he's eternal and he knows it all and he's got a plan, do you think his plan's better than your plan? Maybe you should trust him. And then if we think about this and we look at, you know, lessons we learn, first of all, we learn that we can trust God because he's eternal, but also when we think about we serve a God who's created all things, that speaks to the incredible power of God, that God created all things. And that when he addresses anything, that things take place, that things happen, which means he's worthy for us to lean on him. You know, Proverbs says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths what? Straight. Maybe not your straight, but his straight that we can lean on him. See, if God is the creator of all things, that speaks to his sovereign power, that he's in control of all things, that he's created all things, that he has all authority, all power. And if he has all that, can we not depend on his way over our way? Can we not lean on him going, God, I know you've got a plan that's better than my plan. God, I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna lean on you. And listen, I'm going to depend on you. Some of you are depending on your own experiences depending on your own wisdom. And listen, I know you're smart, but you're not God smart. And we need to learn to depend on him. I said this one time many months ago, that we need to learn interdependence, not independence from God. And if he really is the God who creates, and he really is all that powerful, isn't he worthy of us leaning on him and depending on him? One more thing I want you to notice as a lesson that we can learn is If we serve a God who is active in his creation, what does that mean for us? Here's what it means. It means, and the fact that he's active in his creation speaks to the fact that he desperately desires a relationship with you and me. The fact that the Spirit of God hovers over creation is a picture of the love a father has for his children. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, listen, as we look at the Genesis story, we need to be reminded that if he's the God who hovers, if he's the God who's active, present, and watching out for us, he's worth us surrendering our life to him. If he really loves us and so desperately desires to be in relationship with us, he's worth us surrendering our life to him. And maybe you've never done that this morning. Maybe you're that person in the room that you look at your life and say, you know what, you know, and you said this, and we've talked about this before, but you know what, the way I've lived my life, the decisions that I've made, I know you talk about God's love, but there's no way that God's going to love me. Listen, I can't say it until I'm blue in the face. God's grace trumps your greatest sin. It always does, and it always will. If you will reach out to Him, if you will cry out to Him, if you will seek Him, you will find Him. And maybe you need to surrender your life to him as your Lord and Savior. Just by simply acknowledging, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask you to save me my sins, forgive me my sins, and let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of my life. So maybe you need to make that decision this morning. For those of us that are believers, maybe we need to quit trusting ourselves, quit depending on ourselves, and start trusting God. I don't know about you, but as a parent, parenting is the easiest thing I've ever done. How about you? Do you need the Lord? Sure you do. Making decisions that impact my entire family is the easiest thing I've ever done. No, it's not. I need the Lord. Deciding how to handle situations is the easiest thing I've ever done. I'm in conflict, no problem with that. No, it's, it's all a lie. It's all difficult. Every turn we have in life, whether it's our marriage, our finances, our relationships, our career, whatever we're talking about, we need to trust the Lord and to depend On him, And I believe, as sure as I'm standing here, there's some of you this morning that are trying to do life on your own. And maybe in a moment you want to come to this altar and get on your knees and say, Lord, I've been trusting in my ability, but today I trust you. If you're the God that's eternal, and I believe that you are, and you know the whole story, I know that I can trust you. God, if you're the God that creates and speaks the world's existence and has that much power, I believe I can depend on you to come to my aid. And if you're really God that hovers over us because you're active, involved, and you love us, today, I want to love you back. Today, I want to give you my life. And whatever decision you need to make this morning, this altar is going to be open. Over here, Jason is going to be, and Kelly, and then Pat and Willie will be over here. If you need somebody just to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. If you need to make a decision and you don't feel like coming forward, you have a response card either in the seat in front of you or on that greed sheet. Just fill at the bottom, hey, today I accepted Christ, or today I decided that I'm going to trust the Lord, or today I'm struggling and I need to depend on the Lord. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug? I would love to pray for you. But here's my request this morning. Let's not leave this place like we were when we walked into it. Because some of us were self-reliant, self-absorbed, and self-centered. We walked through that opening back there. But I want us to leave this morning relying on the Lord, trusting the Lord, and living a life committed faithfully to Him. In the beginning, God, Elohim, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, created the heavens and the earth. He is eternal. He is creator. But He loves you. He's mindful of you. I mean, David said it the best when he says, who am I? You're mindful of me. Think about that. An eternal God who has that much authority and power, who spoke the world in existence, knows Colby Fullrod's name. He knows Katie James's name. He knows Jill's Goddard's name. He knows everybody's name. And he loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. And so this morning, if you've never done that, would you love him back and receive him? Let's all stand together for it. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Before we pray with every every head bowed and every eye closed. For those of you here this morning that are believers, and you'd be honest enough to say, hey Doug, I've got some stuff that's going on in my life. Some may be good, maybe bad, but but I'm struggling, trusting the Lord. Or I've got some stuff going on and I'm struggling depending on the Lord. Would you just put your hand up and right back down? I'm just gonna pray for you today. Yeah. Amen. Come on, put it, put it right back down. There's no shame in that. In fact, this should be liberating for you to go, I'm struggling. But if you're struggling, let's end the struggle this morning. Let's swallow the pride, drop our stubbornness, and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Whether it's to trust you, to depend on you, or to know you as my Savior, I need you. And however you need to respond to the Lord this morning, would you do that? God, I love you. I thank you that we can go back to the origin. We can go back to the beginning of creation. And we can look back and we learn so much about you. So much that we didn't have time to talk about today. That we learn that you are God eternal. That you know all things. That you, God, bara, you create. And you're the only one that creates and you love your creation. And that you're a God that's deeply involved with us because you care for us and because you're active and you're present with us. And so, God, I just want to pray this morning. I want to pray for those of us that are Christ followers that are struggling trusting you, those of us that are struggling depending on you, that today the struggle would end, that today we would surrender ourselves, we would lay that pride aside, lay that stubbornness aside, lay that need to depend and self-reliance Uh, All that aside, and that we would humbly, graciously come to you and just maybe in the still small voice of our heart say, Lord, I really need you. I really need you. And Lord, if you will intervene in my life, if you will give me clarity where there is confusion... If you will give me direction where there's been doubt, I will trust you. I will depend on you. God, I pray for some believers in the room because I know we're struggling. I know that there's a real enemy that really does attack us. So God, would you lead us in that path? And Lord, I pray for that one maybe that doesn't know you. That today that they might have been reminded of how much you love us. That you just didn't throw your creation to existence and hoped it worked out, but you hovered over it letting us know how much you love us and want to be in relationship with us. And I pray, Lord, as we think about your love for us, as Kent talked about a while ago, that was demonstrated in the cross of Christ, that today we might choose to love you back and say yes to salvation, say yes to your son. So God, wherever you might lead us this morning, would we just be faithful to respond to you? Whether it be come to this altar, fill out that response card, Or go to the couples on the side and say, I just need you to pray for me. God, I pray that we would respond this morning to you, however you've led us. For it's in your precious, in your holy son's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, as the Lord leads you, just respond.